Hi everyone, welcome back to the Bold Beautiful Borderline podcast. It's your host Sarah and today I'm here with Andrew, which is really exciting. It's been a while since he's joined us on the podcast and he definitely has some mental health life updates of his own to share. Um, He's here for the men's mental health mini series, which I'm a day or two late on, but we're going to rock and roll. So, Andrew, hi, how are you? Hi, uh, I am doing pretty well. (laughs) I'm I'm feeling good today. You're kind of sick. I'm a bit sick, yeah. I uh, have been dealing with some sickness for the last week and a half or so. So if you hear that in my voice, sorry. It's not COVID. No, it's not COVID. I tested multiple times for multiple days, so... (laughs) And it's not mono this time. Yeah, not this time, thankfully. Yeah. Um, But Andrew's all wrapped up in a blankie, which is cute, so. (laughs) Yeah, just being adorable for the podcast. Yeah, even though they can't see. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. well, you know, it comes comes across. Yeah. Yeah. So, on our last recording, we didn't touch so much on your mental health, but you did kind of give a little bit of... Some insight, a little glimpse into the fact that you've kind of struggled with your own stuff. Um, Your story definitely involves, like, the experience of being raised in a religious community and the kind of unlearning that you have done with that and the impact that that's had on your mental health. But do you want to kind of give the podcast, like, an overview of, of your mental health experience and journey and where you're at now? Yeah, sure. Um, So I uh, was always kind of a a moody kid a little bit. Comes Um, with being a writer. Yeah. Yes, it does. Um, So I think, you know, in in some form or another, ever since I was a child, I probably was dealing with depression. Um, But I didn't really put a, a name on it until I was in high school. Um, and I was on Accutane for my acne, um, and I was concerned that if my parents or my doctor found out that I was dealing with, you know, all of these symptoms, they gave me a list of symptoms of depression. There were like 12 symptoms on there. And I was like, just going through the list. Like, yeah, I think I have like 11 of these. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) so that was when I kind of self-diagnosed, but I was afraid to say anything because I was concerned that they would take me off of the medication. And I really wanted to get my acne under control because I had very severe acne. Um, Also, I'm starting Accutane a second time. I'm like, I can't believe a bitch is 29 years old and we're still doing this. God, the idea, honestly, of going back to Accutane sounds so horrible. But do you see <laughs> my face right now? I don't think it's that bad, but... It hurts so bad. Yeah. It hurts so bad. And I went to the dermatologist and she was like, yeah, you're appropriate for Accutane again. And I was like, okay, let's okay. do it. Hook me up. Yeah. Um... And Accutane does have the potential side effect of, like, suicidal ideation or planning. Possibly. Yeah, it's linked, you know, for one reason or another. Um, Yeah, so that kind of developed this pattern for me of hiding my mental health and my struggles and uh, trying to deal with them on my own, which clearly was not effective. Yeah. and it took me a long time to feel comfortable talking about it openly, um, as well as just to address it more head on. Um, can I like just say, and we can edit this out if you want, but like you are the most depressed person I've ever dated <laughs> in terms of like, like, I mean, I've dated some mentally ill people, but, like... I want to see what that trophy looks like. The, like, most depressed mm-hmm. trophy. Yeah, it's not gold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in, but in terms of, like, consistent, persistent depression, you are you are riding that I dark, dark train. struggling, yeah. Like, yeah. it's... Yes, there are moments where it's better and worse, but consistently you definitely have a I, I 
kind of moderate presentation of depression. And that's been there since I've known you. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. I don't think you've ever said that, but it doesn't surprise me to hear. Cause like, yeah, it's, it's been bad. <laughs> I mean, there's, we've kind of talked before about, um, the ways in which my personality and my depression are kind of hard for me to disentangle sometimes. Um, Cause you are kind of moody. I am just generally, you know, I like things that depressed people like, but <laughs> right. Like you've seen every Alfred Hitchcock film and like, you like all okay. the like, <laughs> the like angsty writers and yeah. Yeah. And you know, things like blankets. <laughs> right. I, I love those. Um, but yeah, definitely that's, it's uh, probably a byproduct of just being very depressed for a long time. But that being said, I have had a lot of improvement recently. Um, over the summer, I think, I started taking Zoloft. Miracle drug. Miracle drug. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, and then a, about a month ago, I upped my dose. So I just had an appointment today to check in, see how that's going. And, and also, can I just say, too, that, like, that was really hard for you. Very difficult. And we can talk about why. And yeah, I think we should. And Definitely. As a person who deeply loves you and has a relationship with you, it, and as a person who has uh, my own mental health, all my stuff that everybody has heard on almost a hundred episodes, <laughs> like it, it is really difficult when I'm in my own stuff, trying to get, get my stuff stable and keep it going um to also then be in a relationship with someone who is so depressed but doesn't have the systems and the support built in to like work at it and you know there was I, and I know you don't remember this but there was a time and I remember exactly where you were at in the car and what was going on when I had not been medicated consistently and you said like I can't be with you unless you are consistently on your meds and I was like yeah like I get that I can't be with myself if I'm not consistently on my meds right like but I remember finally saying to you like Andrew like something has to give because it's hard to watch you be this depressed and it's also like hard to be in a relationship dynamic with you when nothing is being done from a clinical perspective. Yes, you have a dog you love. Yes, you do your art. Yes, you were doing your own things, right? But sometimes doing our own things just isn't enough. And yes. you were at that place. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's that's fair. Um, <clears throat> I definitely spent a long time trying to learn just how to survive. And I, I think that's what you're describing is like the ways in which I survived, but I wasn't really doing anything more than that. Um, and definitely getting on medication has helped. <laughs> I feel like I finally have a little more energy. I have motivation. I have like a, a personality again. Um, so that's that's been huge. And it's been really cool watching you gain like the things in your life that you love back because you are feeling better and you have the desire to do them again. But yeah, yeah I think like and this is where it's really interesting for me never having dated a man before really like y'all are different. Like <laughs> I don't get you. I don't get your fucking emotions. I don't get why you don't talk about your emotions. I don't get why you don't label them. Like, and you are really introverted where those things are concerned. You really retreat into yourself. I come by that. Honestly, my dad is the same way. Yeah. So yeah. like, 
Tell me about that. Tell me about hiding and the impact of that. And like, I wonder too, if, if at times you were hiding from yourself, like, Oh, absolutely. Like, can you even name your emotions sometimes? Sometimes no. Um, yeah, that's not something, you know, that you're, uh, People often phrase it as like men aren't encouraged to do those things. And I think it's a little, (laughs) that's true. But like more than that, I think we're actively discouraged from even being able to do those things. Like in what way? uh, Like I have always been into writing and art and those kinds of things. And like, I think I was, I was journaling recently and asking myself, like, was that always an outlet for me and a way for me to experience emotion and think about emotion that was relatively socially acceptable. And like, even then I felt like being an artsy person has had to be done a very specific way where like, if it was too emotional or if it was like not the right type of emotional, then that leaves you open to ridicule or rejection or whatever. Um, so I guess like in that way, like if, if someone trying to think about how to, (laughs) how to explain this without like, recreating problematic dynamics, you know, where like to put it bluntly, if you talk too much about what you're feeling as a man, then you're a pussy. Right. Like, and that's how that's a terrible thing to be. (laughs) Right. Like, well, even just being emotionally literate is like, you're something's wrong with you or like, you can't, um, defend yourself if you need to, or like, I don't know. It's some kind of value statement about who you are in a negative way. Right. And like, you know, I, I don't like using the word pussy in that way, but I mean, you like, I like the word pussy. I have nothing against the word pussy, (laughs) but using it as (laughs) as like a gendered insult, I think is really bullshit. Yeah. It's yeah. Awful. Um, but like that's that's how it is, right? That's how you grow up is like yeah. with that mentality of like Do you feel like you were raised to be like very gendered heteronormative male? Like because you present that way in terms of like you're six foot tall, you've got broad shoulders, you have this giant beard. Like I feel like it's easy for people to kind of assign you that like lumberjack man whatever even though like i know that is so far from the truth that's yeah that's really not me um it it is very much how i look though and and i do i remember a lot of things growing up that were like moments where i feel like i opted into that and like played into it and that kind of became like a defining thing about me. So like things like tastes, right? Like I have always liked the taste of coffee, but like when I was really, when I was young, you know, I was looking at like the masculine figures in my life, like my dad and drinking black and stuff, coffee, drinking black coffee. Yeah. My and it dude was like, wants a pumpkin spice latte every day. I do love a good PSL, um, <laughs> but I do also still like black coffee. I don't drink it as often these days, um, but like... And you like have a bottle of whiskey on your nightstand. I do. I do. I love whiskey. Um, and to some extent, that's the same thing where like it was something I, I always liked, but to an extent, there was some level of like pretending to like it more than I did, you know? Until you like it, because it's an acquired thing. (laughs) Kind of, yeah, yeah. It's a little bit of an acquired taste. Like I said, I always did like it, just like not, maybe not as much as I pretended to, right? But like there was this feeling like I needed to, 
Yeah. Because that's what I men do. was supposed to be a man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whiskey, coffee, dark beers. Yeah. Um, all of that. Um, yeah. Th- things like that. Things like uh, hair. Like, you, you know, I have a really hairy chest and hairy legs and stuff. And like, I don't. I don't love it. I don't love body hair just in general. Um, but it was gender affirming, you know? Yeah. And like, for that reason, I felt like I should play into it and like be proud of that or whatever. Um, and also like people around me like it, like you, you I like love it. your yeah. chest hair. <laughs> And, you know, like, let's not like, like, let's not get it twisted. I love the look of a man. And I like that. But I, like I don't that love like it. Yeah, I don't love the emotional intelligence of a man. Like, I it doesn't work there is for me. None. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not you're not allowed to have that. You're not. Um, yeah, you're you're not even given language for it. Yeah. Like the few times in my life that I tried to have like an honest and open conversation with um, my dad or with like, you know, older male figures in my life, like pastors or whatever. It was brief. (laughs) It was awkward. And it was hard to explain anything or feel like. I was understood or like I was understanding them. And mostly it kind of would culminate in like talking about something else. Well, (laughs) yeah. And tell me about, because I wasn't raised in a religious community or with any religious or spiritual beliefs. Tell me about like how the Christian church sees maleness, because my understanding is it's supposed to be like a, the bow of the ship, like very like the leader of the pack, always intact, very like stoic, someone to rely on. And when we, when we paint that person, we're painting a person that then can't have their own emotional experience that's being shown outwardly because, Oh, can we not rely on someone if they're emotional or, Oh, can they not take care of us as if, those two things can't live co coexist. Yeah. They can't yeah. coincide. They can't happen at the same time. Yeah. Which we know isn't true, but that's not what that community believes. Right. I mean, even, even thinking about like, you know, if you decenter men just a little bit and talk about like how, um, like female politicians or female leaders, frequently are kind of derided like in the workplace or in the public arena um, by saying that a woman is too emotional to lead or something like that. Right. Oh man. They tore Hillary apart exactly for being too stoic or too flat or one dimensional. There was no way for her to win. Right. Obviously. Oh, and then AOC is too emotional. I, right. <laughs> we right. can just go. We're starting a new podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah. By contrast, you know, men are not allowed to to show any of that. Right. Like, if being too emotional is feminine, then you have to be as flat as possible. Um, Which makes for, I think, of very inequitable relationships. And I have talked to you about that, where it's like, you know, sometimes it feels like, and it's it's definitely getting better, but like, sometimes it feels like I have to motivationally interview you to talk about your feelings, which is a therapeutic technique where we like ask people questions in a way that like promotes their motivation to try to talk about their feelings. And like, I don't have the capacity to do that in my personal life. Ask of a partner, especially someone who does that, you know, day in and day out for other people 
Yeah. Like, yeah, that's a lot. Um, I think also adding to it, there's this, I guess my brain is going in two different directions at the same time, uh, which I'm sure is something you can understand. Yeah. So there's this like religious attitude towards leadership that's very much founded in scripture um, that is about how leadership is sacrifice. And not just leadership, but also, like, your spirituality itself and, like, how you relate to God is very much sacrificial. So it's like you you are giving up your entire life, you, everything you want, everything you... Right, like, let, all go, of that. let go, let God. Right, exactly, yeah. Okay, so give up your emotions <clears throat> because God will Not just, the, like, the give way. them up, because they're going to be there because you're a human, right? Sure. But um, you don't really get to... Uh, sometimes you, you have to, like, push them down, right? Like... Um, you're going to feel what you feel, but you can't act on that and you can't focus on it and you can't prioritize uh, taking care of that because what's important is the work you're doing for the Lord, right? Oh, Or for okay. the church or for whatever. Like gaining more community members or speaking about God. Right, okay. right. And I... Which, can I just say, to me that seems so counterintuitive because is... Is 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 it not a relationship with God? Like, if you're in relationship with God, wouldn't you want to talk about the ways in which you love him and trust him and all of these things? Yes. But this gets really complicated, right? Because the... The relationship is very nuanced, Right. Um, but it's also very gendered uh, in, a, in a way that I think a lot of Christians don't even either don't notice or don't Question. really seem to fully understand where like the Bible is an extremely sexual book. It really is. Um, and one of the ways that the church and when I say the church, I'm talking about like the the body of believers right like the the people who believe regardless of like which church they identify with or whatever um the church is very much depicted as quote unquote the bride of christ and there's there's very much like uh you know the wife is supposed to be submissive and like do the husband's bidding right so, like, there very much is that attitude baked into how the church is supposed to respond to God, where it's like you put God's needs first, you do whatever you feel like you need to do for God, and what you want comes second, right? And it's, it is a relationship because that's how they view, like, a marital relationship, right? So, like, that's how gender roles operate within the church, but, like, it's strange to me that that coexists with this, like, heavily patriarchal, like, uh, leadership within the church, where it's like you're, you're arguing that you should be feminizing yourself, right? Does that make sense? No, but I, no. Have, a, <laughs> I have a new podcast idea. Oh, yeah? Which is, like, we <clears throat> should, we should go through, like popular stories in the Bible and you can explain them to me and I can, as a lay person, ask a million questions yeah. to try to fucking understand and then we can you dissect won't. it. I won't. <laughs> like, that's the point of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. This is a great idea. And honestly, I would Spon probably really enjoy that. Like, who's going to sponsor us? Yeah. Uh. I can't put that out under... This particular podcast, every sure. new podcast idea I have, as long as it sort of relates to mental health, I can like make it a mini series or put it as a part of this one. But that right. one, that one's that's just, uh, yeah. 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 And it's maybe like, yeah, we're looking for a particular audience for that bad boy that I don't, 
I think fits some of my audience with BBB, but not all of them. Sure, sure. So, okay. No, I don't understand, but keep Fair going. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm, it's not an attempt for me to understand. Um, well, and, and I think, you know, like I said, I, I don't think even a lot of people in the community have really broken that one down <laughs> for themselves. So I, I don't think it's like a... I don't know if I ever fully understood it, right? Like that was one of the questions I definitely had when I first started questioning my relationship to the church and whether or not I wanted to be part of it was like, you know, this doesn't really make sense to me. Like you people are arguing for like a heavily um, patriarchal like structure that ultimately is supposed to be submissive to God, which you're also telling me like being submissive is like not masculine. Right. So like, I'm not really sure who you want me to be. Submit to God or as a male promote behavior that requires people to submit to me. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that I, as a male shouldn't submit, but the ultimate way I should live my life is in submission to Jesus. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's mixed messaging. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, And it's very much, I could see how if like the ultimate act of um, uh, commitment to your religious belief or practice is submission to God, then you, that would teach you to ignore your mental health. Yes. The focus becomes this kind of like self-denial, right? Where like, you're, you're, there's a famous verse that people quote a lot um, that says, like, mind you, it's been many years since I've read the Bible, so I'm paraphrasing. Well, until our next podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but essentially, it's, uh, we are from this earth, but we're not of this earth. Right. And so, like, it kind of... The higher kingdom. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) The celestial kingdom, as they talk about in Mormonism. And the what is that show we watched Uh, that I got obsessed with? Under the Banner of Heaven. That, yeah. Um, Yeah, it's kind of a similar concept to that. But, like, it embodies the, uh, the perspective that I think a lot of Christians have of, like, there is the world that we live in, and then there's like heaven, us, right? Oh. <laughs> um, and you know, there's there's this like isolationist attitude where like sure. we have to be better than the world. The believers we have to be versus separate. the non-believers, right? And like the whole point is to bring more people into that fold and like build as big of a Christian community as you possibly can. But there's also that tension of, like, the world is dangerous and evil and tempting. And, like, you have to be careful about, you know, how you interact with it and how you don't. Yeah. And, like, there's there's a running theme of, like, don't become part of the world, right. but interact with it. Right? Well, and, and it sets boys and, you know, like, especially little boys... Um, but definitely just all young people up to fail because this idea of temptation exactly. as you're developing your sexuality. I I know that boys historically like have an interest in masturbation earlier than girls do. Sure. Just from the way that I've talked to my male friends versus my female friends and like people wherever they're at on the gender spectrum, but like you're gonna be tempted to play with your body and other bodies before marriage because that's science. Yeah. So. But that's also like. But like talk about teaching you you're bad. Yes, exactly. And like what is the long-term effect of being told you're bad? Exactly. So that's why I used the phrase self-denial earlier, right? Is because those are very natural and real impulses that you are consistently told to ignore and to go against, right? So, like, your very nature, you are being actively told to fight. Um, and especially in, like... So, if you go to, like, a, 
a religious summer camp, there will definitely be a time, probably multiple times, where they split up, you know, the guys and the girls, right? <clears throat> Which, like, poor non-binary folks, I don't know how you would survive in that well, like, and people, environment. Yeah, people who are, you know, trans. Right. Like, that's got to be so hard. I can't imagine. Um. Anyway. <laughs> the point is they, they split you up and you get the, um, my understanding from like female friends that I've had is that the, the, the girls, uh, what's the word messaging, like the preaching and stuff is all about how you're like this pure thing and you don't want to like, you're a flower, taint that purity, you know, yeah. uh, for men, it was like, you are inherently sinful. You're like, statistically, all of you are fucking up already. Um, you, like, if you've watched porn, you're a sinner. Uh, if you masturbated, you're a sinner. You Had you like, masturbated yet? <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh. yeah. <laughs> like, I, I was don't a teenage know. Boy. I was old when I started masturbating. Yes. I mean, that's, that's different for women, right? Like, Often, yeah. Because you're not supposed to. But like... I guess what I'm trying to get at is that for men, not it's not about what you're supposed to do. There's already, already an bad. assumption that yeah. you have done it. Yeah. So it's like we're deciding who you are already, you know? Um, and in addition to who we've decided you are, we've decided that it's wrong, that you are found wanting. Yeah. Um, and for like the sensitive, already prone to depressed feelings, boy that you were, I can imagine how devastating that would be. It was very overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like, um, I mean, when we first started dating, even we would, we talked about how like purity culture and such kind of, uh, interrupted my sex life oh right? yeah and here and i my am sexual just, development i'm just trying to bang like <laughs> three times a day i'm like hypersexual at this point because you know my marriage was so lacking in sex and here's this yeah. man is that i feel a lot of trust with after you know dozens and dozens and dozens of hookups with people that i didn't care about or want to know about and here's this guy where i'm like okay i want to know you and trust you and you're hot so let's go and like it was it was hard for you at first it was really hard um and that's very much tied to my mental health as well like like you said there's this um because there's so much stigma around it and everything there's like this feeling that comes with it that's like you know i'm a bad person for engaging with these things and then like it's it just all gets so exacerbated and like conflated together and and then it's hard to be in the moment yes well i mean <laughs> let's not mix message our listeners andrew was just fine in the moment <laughs> but like sometimes there, I mean, there were a few times where it was i mean physically yeah yeah well yeah yeah but like, um, <laughs> but like emotionally, emotionally difficult. Yeah. Then like you were very like in your head and I had no understanding of that. Like I, I no, you I, didn't. I, I, yeah, I couldn't create space for that. And I didn't know how to communicate it. Yeah. Right. Cause I was taught that like even thinking about these things was shameful and sinful. So like the idea of having an open conversation about what you're feeling and what you're experiencing and about your body and all of those things. It's like, how, how am I supposed to do that? Like, yeah. I don't have tools for that. I don't have vocabulary for it. I don't, you know, I was kind of uh, making it up as, as I go along. Yeah. Um, thankfully I'm in a much better place now, but oh, yeah. Yeah. No problem. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was it was hard and it definitely it made a lot of my uh mental health struggles worse. Yeah. And so when you decided to leave the church because 
you were saying this doesn't align with my personal beliefs about the world and my personal values. What you also left, I imagine, is a whole lot of community. Oh, yeah. I knew, like, I mean, I, I always had friends outside of the church, but not very many, right? And and taking away um, not just people, but, like, I was leaving the church around when I was getting into college, right? So I'm taking away like a consistent place where I can go and meet people or be in community. And I'm changing the only other consistent place I had, which was school. Right. So like all of my school friends are moving across the country, going to different colleges, doing whatever. And my religious friends don't really fuck with me anymore because I'm not like that. Yeah. Um, and there very much is a um, stigmatizing and, and sort of shunning attitude in the Christian church um, that I think is not talked about, especially not talked about as such, right? Yeah. And so when did you say, like, like when did you label for yourself, like, okay, like, did you have a come to Jesus, for lack of a better term, um, moment with yourself where you're like, this is depression. I am depressed. I I am deep in the shit. Like, what was that? When was that? How was that? So that would have been actually when I was still in high school. Um, and I that would have been when I was on Accutane and I kind of figured out like, oh, I'm dealing with depression. Um but the part of that come to Jesus moment uh, that was not there was that I needed help with it. Um, so figuring that part out took much longer. Um, especially figuring out the medication part. <laughs> um, and part of that was that I was dating a girl at the time who um, is a wonderful human. And I would never say anything negative about her. Um, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm trying to be disparaging about the role she played in my life because she probably saved my life, right? At multiple points in time. Aww, thank you, um, girlfriend. Of the <laughs> but that being said, uh, she was, she was trying to help and she found a, a book that was by a pastor who preaches in Portland or did at the time, um, who I, I really liked at the time, but um, looking back now, I can see was very damaging for me. Um, and that book <clears throat> did what a lot of Christians do and kind of portrayed his own mental health struggle um, as a spiritual struggle and as if mental illness isn't real, it's just a lack of connection with God. Kind of. Yeah. Specifically, this book was about depression and anxiety. Um, and, and this was, it's interesting because, you know, it, it's a Portland pastor, right? Like he's not some far right nut job. He's, he's talking about uh, drinking beer at church. Like, this is relatively, I, mean, I, I really like want to emphasize the word relatively, okay, but this but, is a relatively it liberal like a little person. Gen gentrified young church person wearing like a thousand percent wearing, wearing a really expensive clothes to try to bring cool people into the church to make it more cool. So they gain more followers. He was, it's very, he was young. It's yeah. very curated. Very yeah. curated. Yes, very much so. The like slicked back hair, v-neck, all that yeah. skinny jeans. Mostly music at church. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he had gone through some very real struggles and, like, that's where this book came from was out of his experiences and his, like, attempt to understand and to live a better and more healthy life. Um, but his perspective was that his depression and his anxiety were because – were, like, a, a method of God telling him that something was off in his 
spiritual life. Yeah. And can I just say, too, for any of our listeners, Andrew and I are criticizing the way that religion is delivered, not your religious beliefs. I think it's absolutely wonderful to believe in Jesus, a God, whatever that means to you. We are criticizing the human delivery of those things. And, the, and there's a difference. And the culture surrounding it. Yeah. yeah. There's a big yeah. difference. I want to make sure our listeners know that this isn't just like a shit on no, shit like, on religion. I, I think that there's session. a lot of value to religion. I, I mean, we just were talking about community, right? Like religion provides a space for community to grow in a way that very few things do and provides a lot of hope <laughs> a lot of hope and a, it's a, a lot of healing and it's beautiful and it's absolutely meaningful and purposeful and i i want i just want to make sure that we say that yeah because i think that's that, a good point <laughs> i think that often people like us meaning like Young, leftist, socialist, Pacific Northwest people, like those are the, that's the kind of people we represent, right? Sure. More or less. Have a bad rap for talking shit on religious systems. And I just want to make sure that I'm saying like, we're, we are criticizing the delivery, not, not the believing in it, in the believing itself. Right. Because that has nothing to do with... They're different. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So back to our hipster preacher. So uh, I read his book and it cites some study and talks about how medication doesn't work. Um, And... I would love to see the science of that. uh, Well, I looked it up much later in life. Um, and it's like the only study you can find that says that. Um, and it, it argues actually that what worked best was therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, and that the medication, like, I can't remember the exact results. Um, but basically I think there was a group, there was probably a group taking meds and a group taking um, meds and going to therapy, and that group had statistically more significant results. That's what it was. Correct. Yes. Sorry. You, I was trying to figure out how to say it. And Yeah. Anyway. Well. Y- you get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's essentially what the study said. But, like, even, even in those results, if I remember right, the group taking medication was still doing better than even, like, the placebo group was doing. So, like... I I personally think that that is not a good argument to make. Um, and well, it's, not, having, it's not factually correct. It's 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 a very it's a very contextual limited, perspective, right? It's a limited perspective based on a small amount of information. Um, and the emphasis of this perspective, again, not trying to like shit talk this person because he went through so many things Absolutely. and all that. His and, story is his to tell. And I feel that he was very genuine in, in his search and presentation of information. I don't think he was trying to do anything damaging. No, he was telling his narrative. Right. Um, his authentic narrative. But the effect that that had in my life was that now I had a distrust of medication and I felt conflicted about my mental health and and how I related to it. And I went through a crisis of faith and I went through, you know, so like it, which is so interesting to me, given like you have seen me medicated versus unmedicated. I know before me, you have seen people who have very real mental illnesses who were likely medicated and unmedicated at certain times And yet when we had that conversation, it was like, you really, you really believe and I really believe that I should be medicated to be the most effective version of me. Yeah. But it was hard for you to. To internalize that. Internalize that and apply that to yourself. And that for me is so interesting. Well, I think that ties back to what I was saying earlier about the the way in which religion really foments that like self-denial right and the way in which you are different right 
and you are not like that. And you are like, oh, you were so, the, I was the other. Kind of, yeah, because because there's this idea that like those things are for the world right. and not for me. Right. So like medication might be helpful for other people, but I have Jesus, mm-hmm. right? So like, I can take care of this myself. Right. And I just need to pray more or read my Bible more or whatever the fuck. <laughs> um, which like for some people, I'm sure that helps. Yeah. But for me, that was never the answer no. because I was, I was doing like daily devotions and stuff. I was, I was a good Christian. <laughs> um, but again, but even it didn't as help. You, yeah. And <laughs> even as you came out of it, right. You were doing the things that right maybe should i would argue you weren't doing all of the things i would argue you still don't do all the things which neither do i it's impossible to do them all but you were doing behavior activation that you should have seen some benefit from and you weren't in in a big enough benefit to really impact your life positively and so like for you medication is very appropriate absolutely um and it wasn't, you know, I I point to that and I, I want to say it wasn't conscious, right? Like at no point would I consciously have said yes, but I am different. But like effectively, I think the mental roadblock was like a subconscious, like that has been what I'd been told for so long that like I didn't know how to go after medication, right? Like I just had this distrust and it was all just like a feeling I had. It wasn't, it wasn't a conscious thought about, I don't want this thing. It was just like a feeling that that wasn't for me. Right. I have to say, this is really helpful for me. Yeah. Yeah. I wish this would have been a part of our conversation a long time ago. I think we had bits and pieces of it, but I definitely definitely didn't understand it to this extent. I also don't know that I was capable of understanding it to this extent then. I think I also didn't have quite the same language for it. Like, I think, I think I'm doing a better job explaining it now than I did at the time, but I do remember at least trying. (laughs) No, no, no. I know it was a part of the conversation, but not to this extent. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, and like, I was feeling so like, fuck, man, why am I doing the work and you're not, you know, and that compassion fatigue was triggering all of my stuff in my marriage and all of the stuff in my family where I'm like, why am I the one doing the work and other people aren't? And so when I'm in that place, it's hard for me to see your context. Especially, I think, because it's a context you have no point of reference for, right? Like None. Yeah, religion, just there's nothing there that makes sense to you, Mm -mm. (laughs) which is fair, but like... I wasn't raised in it. Yeah. I didn't have any friends raised in it. Yeah. It wasn't a part of my language growing up. And it was the only language I had for most of my life, you know? Yeah. So, fast forward to now. What, how have you reframed your beliefs around mental health and being a man? That's a big question. Yeah. Um, and maybe you don't have the whole answer, right? And that, I think that's... I mean, I definitely don't. <laughs> I think it's, that's the point. <clears throat> maybe that historically men had an answer and they would say like the men you were raised around had an answer and they would say, that's not for us. I don't struggle with my mental health. Right. Like being able to say this answer is messy. I don't know. All of it is progress. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think most of the folks that I was in community with the men would say that they didn't have all the answers, but then they would come up with one, you know? So it's like they they start with that kind of humility, but they don't end the conversation that way. So it's like it's not it's not intentional, but they end up with like something that affirms how they live, right? Which that is not unique to the 
Christian community. Not at all. No, that's I, like everybody. I yeah. can affirm the things <clears throat> that I am doing that maybe aren't values based. I I have a, a six back pockets to pull from. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, that's honest self reflection is really really hard. Yeah. So yeah, totally fair. I'm not trying to fault any of them like uniquely for this, uh, but that is how it went, right? So like everyone always had an answer. Even if they said, well, I don't have all the answers, right? Um, So I think part of me reframing masculinity and mental health and how I approach all of that was learning how to not have all the answers and not still come to some kind of a conclusion. Um, But also, like, it's... It very much is is you're kind of reforming your approach to both of those things at the same time, right? Like you're in order to address mental health or address like how you relate to it, you have to re-examine how you relate to your gender or your masculinity, right? So like for me, I think a lot about what healthy masculinity looks like. Um, in part because I'm re-examining my identity and I don't know how much of it I really identify with. Um, but like it gets messy because I'm like, how much of it is just me not identifying with like the more toxic parts of masculinity and how much of it is me not identifying with masculinity as a whole, right? Which is a very blurry yeah. thing. Um, because, like, do you feel male? I mean, generally, yeah. Yeah. And so, like, I I have, I have met a lot of people who were, like, like, I'm not sure where I fall because I don't want to be what people consider as male. And it's like, well, then don't be what people consider as male move like be proudly male and move the conversation and the behavior of maleness forward right if you do in fact identify as male right if that feels right to you and for me this is another thing where like not having the answers is important because it's okay to just say like i don't know yeah i don't know if i'm male like i I'm okay with just letting other people decide how they see me and like, just kind of live your life and pursue the things you want to pursue and leave things like labels to other people. But I also recognize that that's not how everyone sees that. Right. Like, I don't know. Some people, some people need those, those labels, but, um, well, yes, some people do need those labels, but, I think this is where the privilege of being in a assigned male at birth body comes of like, you don't have to think about those labels so much. Sure. If it sort of fits most of the time, because you have all the privilege of walking out in the world as six foot tall, broad shoulders and wearing a beard and all of these things. Sure. Right. I don't have that privilege. I don't, I I have to worry about my safety. Right. Right. You don't really have to worry about your safety. Not in the same way. No, no. I guess I'm, what I'm getting at is the, the way in which those labels have like failed to encapsulate who lives under them. Does that make sense? Tell me. I think this is a great conversation and I want you to feel like super able to explore it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I feel like partly I'm very self-conscious right now because I don't want to say anything stupid on a mic. Oh, I don't think you're going to say anything stupid on a mic. Plus we can cut it. Okay. Okay. Um, but also like, I, I think it's good to just to be able to talk about things you know messy yeah the messy world, exactly like i feel it's like good the to world be needs to hear this is what it looks like in the mess yeah like and i'm self-conscious in it yeah like 
you're uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. Like, that's okay. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, like I said, I, I think I'm, I'm trying to... Let's see. How do I explain what I'm thinking? So, gender, gender is a spectrum, right? Absolutely. <clears throat> so, if you... If you start there <laughs> and you put, you know, as is traditionally done, he, him on one side and she, her on the other, and then kind of they, them is just somewhere in the middle. Sure. The lines between each of those like categories, I'm doing air quotes, are <laughs> are blurry, right? Like there's not one line. No. And they kind of fade into and out of each other. Yep. And culture very much plays a role. A huge role. Right? Because all of these things are based on cultural norms. So, like, how how one person defines these things is not even necessarily relevant to how they are defined as by people as a whole. Right. right? And, like, I think that is where you feel uncomfortable and I feel uncomfortable is that, like, you and I maybe have different experiences of defining or talking about the definition of these things. Yes. Because I'm a cis queer woman. Yeah. And I am a fucking loud, opinionated queer woman. And I get to be. And I know that you want to be very sensitive to my queerness. I, I love that you're a loud queer woman. I think that's wonderful. And that's one of the things that I fell in love with, right? Um, But I also don't want to perpetuate, like, the pain that you've experienced because of it. So, like, it's hard for me sometimes to talk about these things because I want to be sensitive to that. But I also want to be able to ask questions and explore these things, right? And, and, And that is messy. Yeah. And sometimes that means I'm going to say or do something stupid, <laughs> which is why I'm nervous talking about it on mic. <laughs> well, um, I just have to say I love you, and I think it's totally okay for us to be in the mess as long as you. I mean, I'm. I, as long as you, as a person, you, you have communicated to me historically that although you're not sure how you relate to what is traditionally maleness, that generally speaking, you fit in the cis hetero male box and so the the line becomes you don't get to tell me what queerness looks like and how it's defined but you can ask questions and you can engage when you're invited in and you can be an ally yeah but if you're telling me that you fit into that queer box somewhere then the conversation changes right sure yeah. Which, like, I don't know that I'm comfortable saying that, but I at least, I guess, am questioning where my where I do fit. Yeah. Right? Which is, like, very normal and very healthy. I think that's, yeah, that's, yeah, definitely. But, like, all of, all of it is tied to the conversation we've been having, right? Where, like, <clears throat> um, questioning mental health and coming from a religious background has meant questioning gender, right? And like all of those systems kind of come together. Um, and and seeing the ways, trying to disentangle the ways in which that portion of the spectrum that's considered masculine uh, is healthy and is unhealthy. Trying to to separate those two things and create in my head or with the people around me, create a, like, healthy masculinity, which kind of doesn't really exist, culturally speaking. So, like, trying to collectively form that. gets even messier when you're like it makes self-identification messier yeah because like i don't know if i identify as a healthy masculine person 
because that doesn't really exist. Right. Or if I just am maybe not a strictly male person. Right. Right. Well, and this is interesting because this is where in the very limited privilege that cisgendered women have, one of them is you're allowed to be emotional. Yeah. Part of the not privilege, the oppression of that is we are going to demonize the fuck out of you for it. Sure. But you are allowed to feel and express your emotions. And that has been largely suppressed by, you know, the cis hetero male community. I don't have a lot of sadness or patience for it because all of the tools and research exist in the world to unlearn that. And most men struggle to do that. But I will say that I have a little bit of sadness for the ways that men haven't had the privilege of being told that they can be emotional. But again, it's a very gendered unlearning process that they should be doing. So it's a small amount of of sadness and um, lack of privilege. And systemically, it doesn't put you in danger. So it's not oppression. Right. Right. But I have some, I have a little, I have a marble from the jar of sympathy or empathy that can be placed in that direction. Yeah. One marble. One marble. (laughs) I'll take it. <laughs> and particularly for well, for you, it's like a, a, a handful of marbles. It's uh-huh. not the jar, but like you know, like it does make me sad for you that it's hard to name your emotions and understand what your body is going through and communicate them so that your relationships can be healthy. And like, if that is the thing that makes you question how you relate to your gender, right? Because like a traditionally speaking with kind of like gender, right? It's like, yes, culture, religion, all of these things influences it. But like most people who have a non-traditional and air quotes gender identity have felt that confusion since they were born. Right. And so that's kind of like, I don't know if you have felt confusion about your gender since you were little. I don't know. I think I can pinpoint times. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say that that like defined my childhood, but like definitely there were times when I felt like, um, like I talked about the like girl and guy time, right? Right. And like definitely there were moments where I felt like I was in the wrong place um, or I didn't belong you yeah. know, um, and maybe that was just me being a little weirdo, but that's not but maybe weird. It also, you no, know, you don't need to invalidate yourself. Well, yeah, <laughs> I'm not trying to be like dismissive of, of anyone, but I, I think, you know, it's possible that that's related to gender and how I experience it. And it's possible that it's just me not fitting in with the people I was around. Right. So I guess that's what I meant when I said me being a little weirdo. (laughs) Sure. But I think like the bigger, the overarching, overarching, however you pronounce that word, theme is that when we tell people they have to be a certain way, it makes it difficult for them to know who they are. Yes. And the long-term effects of not knowing who you are is poor mental health. Yes. Right? And like I... I'm a queer woman. I'm not, I'm cisgender. I'm not trans. I'm not non-binary. I don't really fall anywhere outside of the she, her spectrum, right? Like that feels very good for me. So I don't get to talk on that experience. I'm really just asking questions to kind of like understand more what you're talking about. Right. And I, I would be super interested to have like a trans person here talking to you about it. I don't know if the conversation would be different, better, worse, more validating. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know either. Um, yeah, I think I would add to that. Um, not just being told who you are, but in religious contexts, frequently being told not to be who you are. Sure. Which is like a, a step further in in uh, driving home that like uh, feeling of being lost and directionless and just 
not really capable of getting a handle on how you identify or, or who you feel you really are. Right. Because you're just trying to be who you should be. Right. And that is something that I know, you know, all of our listeners can understand because we are all told we should not be borderline. Right. I remember having many conversations with you about that. Yeah. Well, I love you. And I, love I you. respect you. And I want to say that I see the serious work that you've been doing and you have been journaling and you have been getting out in the rain even and walking your dog and you have been making your own meals and like you have really been doing things to taking your meds getting them increased like you have really been doing things to um make your life easier to live that little andrew wouldn't have done and i just really want to celebrate that for you thank you yeah and i also want to celebrate like the mess that is this conversation and how honored I am to be able to be in it with you, because I think you brought a lot of vulnerability and fear and discomfort and you showed up anyways. Yeah. I love you. I love you. I think we should re-record in like six months or a year and see, see where you're at with this stuff. Yeah, sure. Do you have any, like, last thoughts, final words, advice? I think this is very much a fluid to be continued conversation. Be good to yourself, you know? Give yourself space. Hold, hold space for you to figure out who you are. Um, I guess that's advice. Um, Absolutely advice. Don't be afraid of meds. They're wonderful. Over-the-counter antidepressants. We're a big fan of the SSRI category. Huge fan. Yeah. <laughs> I love you. And um, I am just so in awe of who you are. And I want to say wherever, however you fall on that spectrum, that for me, the person that you have represented has been largely male. And you've been the healthiest, most... Um, consistent male figure air quotes that I've seen in terms of a willingness to explore your emotions. Um, and so for me, you have moved the dial of what is possible for masculinity. Um, that means a lot to me. Yeah, you have truly changed my perspective. And I mean, I wouldn't have dated you if I didn't see the unlearning that you've done and continue to do. So I just want to say that for the world. Thank you. Hi, friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bold, Beautiful Borderline podcast. Lori and I are so grateful that you're here with us on this journey, and we can't wait to dive into more topics in the future with you all about Borderline and even have some more fun and exciting guests to join us on the podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you would rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. We would also love to see you interact with us on social media and on our Patreon page, the links to that are included in the show notes, so check us out there. We would be incredibly honored to get to know you all as you get to know us and our recovery stories. We love you, and we'll see you next time.